Hey, good morning, church. Great to see you. This is the day the Lord has made. We're rejoicing and glad in it. Amen? Yeah, God is good and he is faithful, so be encouraged today in his presence with his people. We are talking about divine direction. The most important questions we ask in life are related to God's best idea, God's best plan for us. What does God want me to do? And we are discussing that important topic. And today we want to consider the subject of wisdom, wisdom to decide, wisdom to discern. And with that in mind, we've chosen as our text this morning from 1 Corinthians chapter 16. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9. This is the Apostle Paul, and he's talking to the church at Corinth. Uh, this, this set of verses really looks casual. It's like his travel itinerary. Uh, he's just informing them about what might be coming next. And uh, you may look at it from the surface and think, well, it's kind of irrelevant. It's just uh, him reporting his travel movements. But I think there's much we can learn about discerning God's will and God's direction in our life through this. So uh, if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. If not, we'll project the words on the screen. 1 Corinthians 16, our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So thank you for doing that as you're able. And so Paul writes, Perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. For I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits. But I will stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Now may God enlighten us today through his word. You may be seated. Thank you so much. I want to take a survey if I can. I'm kind of curious about this. What if you were offered a job in another city which you like, doing something that you like, and they offered you, say, $12,000 more per year, like $1,000 a month raise? How many of you take that, take that job? $12,000 more. That's a bunch of it, yeah. You settled too soon. I was going to offer you more. <laughs> what, what if someone offered you $50,000 more a year? Would you take that job in another city doing something you like? How about 100000 What if someone gave you $100,000 more than you're making right now? Would you take that job? Yeah, it's a good question, isn't it? Now, what if I told you that uh, another church had called me and made a call to me, and they're offering me a lot more money than they're paying here, and I've decided just to take, take that job? What would you think about that? Oh, wait, no, wait, wait, wait. You don't like that idea. So it's okay for you to take a pay raise, not okay for me. What's up with that? That doesn't seem right. Doesn't seem fair. We're learning that making big decisions is not always easy. And one thing that we're uh, discovering is that there is a difference in the capacity for these decisions depending on the, the uh the generation that you come from. We have in our church, you know, uh, this wide range of generations. We have the builder generation, the generation of World War II, the great generation among us. Uh, we have the baby boomer generation, my generation. And then there's this narrow generation called Generation X. There are a number of you in that category. And then we have millennials, Generation Z. Now the alphas are emerging among us. What we discovered is that beginning with the millennials and younger that these generations now are finding it difficult to make big decisions, difficult to make commitments. 
hesitant. There's, there's indecisiveness in these generations. And sociologists are trying to unpack why that's true. And we've learned, and we mentioned this last week, that three of the reasons are that there are too many options. It's the Netflix generation, this syndrome where there's so many options out there that it paralyzes us from making a decision, you know, just choosing something. Another indication is that there's too much structure indicating that the way the modern family is going today, the schedules are completely packed full. There's not any free time or enough free time for children. And when there's not free time for kids, they don't have the opportunity to develop the kind of skills necessary to, to, to think independently and to make choices on their own. And apparently, uh, absent that, as these younger generations are moving into young adulthood, they don't have that skill set, and so they hesitate because they're unsure about what it feels like and, and uh, acts like when big decisions are made. The third thing that we're discovering is too high expectations. And this is the result of social media, which has created a platform for false narratives implying a standard of perfection. So there's this illusion of perfectionism that exists out there in the ether that somehow convinces us that, that everybody else's life is perfect and mine is not. And so I'm hesitant to do anything because it won't be perfect. And then you, that's compounded sometimes by the Christian culture where Christians actually use the term the perfect will of God. And I don't know if you appreciate this, but I try not to use that phrase. I, I do occasionally, but the phrases that I prefer to use are doing God's best idea, God's best plan for your life, uh, finding and discovering God's original design and destiny and intention and get into that. So what happens is people get this illusion, even Christian people, that God has a perfect plan out there. And if I make one wrong move that's not perfect, then I blow the whole thing up. You know, if I marry the wrong person, then the whole plan fails and I've got no hope. And so this tends to cause people to hesitate to make a commitment, it makes them indecisive and unwilling to make a decision because it's not going to be perfect. Let me remind you that the title of this whole series is Divine Direction. It's not called Divine Perfection. It's divine direction. And so what we believe is that God, God sets the road before us, a path before us, and there's some variables in there. You know, you can, you can make some choices along the way that don't have to be absolutely perfectly in step with every moment of every detail. And, and so we have to come to terms with that. So today I want to talk about how we can grow in the process of making these decisions. Where should I go to college? Who should I date? Who should I marry? Should we have another child? Should we buy this house? Should we, should we buy this car? Should we accept that job in another city for only $12,000 more per year because we settled too soon, could have gotten more? How do we know what God wants? The false narrative for many Christian people is that if you follow the perfect will of God, then everything will go well, and there will be no opposition, no obstruction, and life will be perfect. But, of course, that's not the way it works. It doesn't work that way at all. Now, think about the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, if you don't know this guy, he's the guy who wrote two-thirds of the books of the New Testament. He had these amazing, miraculous visions that he described as going to uh, some third heaven in this vision, whatever that is, 
And, and so he saw heavenly things. He saw eternal things. He, he was given unusual capacity. And he planted churches all over the known world. You would think, the Apostle Paul, that if anybody could understand what God's plan and will for his future was, it would be him. And yet we find in our text today him kind of musing with the church at Corinth about his travel itinerary. Now, let me put that on the screen for you again, and let me just underline some of the words there so you can get some context. He says, perhaps I will stay with you for a while or even spend the winter so that you can help me on my journey wherever I go. It's almost like it's tongue-in-cheek. He's, maybe he's laughing about it, you know, wherever the heck I end up going. And then he goes, for I do not want to see you now and make only a passing visit. I hope to spend some time with you if the Lord permits but I'll stay on at Ephesus until Pentecost because a great door for effective work has been opened to me and there are many who oppose me. Now, what can we derive from this? Here's what we can say for sure. Paul didn't have a clue what was coming next. He just didn't know. He's just kind of going with it, going with the flow. He's got momentum. He's moving. He's in a place. He's, he's going to figure it out. He's going to figure out the next step when the next step comes up. He didn't understand the details. And yet he served God as effectively, you could argue, as effectively as any human who's ever been on the planet. This is the Apostle Paul who changed the world with his life. So man makes plans in his heart, the Bible says, and it's the Lord who determines the steps. Man makes his plans, the Lord determines the steps. So step by step, this is how we grow into an understanding of God's plan. So here's what a lot of you are going to want to know. We talked last week about this. If you weren't here, uh, pick up on this because this is really foundational. We talked last week about who before do and why before what. So who you are is more important than what you do and why you do what you do is more important than what you do. So who before do, why before what. And, and this, is, this is very important because who you are is more critically important in the mind and will of God than what you do. What you do is what you do, but who you are is something different than that. So when you're becoming the right who, God will lead you to the right do. When you're living for the right why, it's easier to dis discern the right what. Now, here's the big thought for the day. You ready? Come back to me. Everybody back? Are, are you back? Okay. It's cold out there. You come into a nice warm room with soft chairs and party's over. So you should always grab coffee when you come in. It's just so it will help you. So here's the big thought for the day. You ready? God won't always give you in specific detail what he wants you to do, but he will give you wisdom to decide, wisdom to discern. Now catch that. It's a really, really important uh, piece of information. Now, you remember Solomon, he followed his father David to the throne of Israel. David was king of Israel, and Solomon followed him. On, on the day of the coronation, when Solomon was crowned king, there was a protocol for that, and part of the protocol called for a burnt offering. So you bring this bull out in front uh, of the people, and they butcher this animal and burn it on the altar as a burnt offering to God. Solomon, wanting to do something a little more extravagant, a little more generous, rather than just making one burnt offering, he brings a thousand. So a thousand burnt offerings on the day of the coronation. 
And this touched the heart of God. This moved the heart of God. Now, let me just say, kind of as a side note, if you don't think that generosity moves the heart of God, then you're confused because it does. There's lots of things that move the heart of God. I I like to talk about it in terms of weather systems on the earth. So we get this wherever there's low pressure in the atmosphere, air flows there and that's where you get wind. So the lower the pressure, the faster the winds are, the lowest, the lowest, uh, Barometric pressures in history have been the worst storms in history. So you get low, low pressure, high wind. And we create low pressure spiritually when we repent of our sins and turn to Jesus and, and walk humbly with God and serve our neighbor in a loving way. And when we act in a generous way toward God, these are the sorts of things that create low pressure spiritually and the spirit of God flows to those things. And so if you want to create the presence and closeness and energy of God in your life, just do the things that create low pressure so that he, he flows there. And so Solomon discovered that being generous, outrageously generous, causes the movement of God toward his life. And so he goes to sleep, he has this dream, and God says to Solomon, look, I saw that offering, it moved me very much. And so listen, whatever you want, I'm gonna grant it to you. Wow, like a blank check from God. Solomon wakes up and he goes, okay, what should I ask God for? Because he said, I'm going to get it, whatever it is. And so he goes through the list. Should I ask for money? Should I ask for power? Should I ask for victory over my enemies? What should I ask for? And then Solomon concludes, this is what I want. Lord, I, I don't want any of those other things. He said, I want to be a good leader. I want to, I want to advise the nation well. And so I ask for a heart of wisdom. Remember the story? I asked for wisdom. And God said, I love that answer. He said, because you didn't ask for money and power and all that other stuff, he said, I'm going to give you those things and I'm going to give you wisdom as well. And so Solomon was endued with this amazing amount of wisdom, God-given wisdom. And so he writes the Proverbs and we have access to some of those wonderful statements. And so wisdom becomes critically important. And so at some point, Solomon actually makes a statement. It's very direct you know, it's, it's, it's very exclusive statement. And I want you to see it. It's in Proverbs chapter four, verse seven. Look at the screen. He said, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do. It's the wisest thing you could do. And whatever else you do, develop good judgment. Getting wisdom. You know, every one of us, if you live long enough, you actually say this, this statement out loud or you'll think it, but you'll say it. In fact, You can finish the statement for me. Ready? I'll start it. You finish it. Ready? Out loud. Here it comes. I wish I knew then. Now, why is it everybody knows that statement? I wish I knew then what I know now. Mm -hmm. Let me tell you what we all got when we stepped in it back then. The result of that was we got wisdom. We got wisdom. Because now we say, I wish I knew then what I know now, because I'm a whole lot wiser in that category than I was then. I know a whole lot more about that than I, than I, than I did then. And so we understand wisdom comes. God will not always show you what to do, but he'll give you the wisdom to decide. So here's the question this morning. How do you get wisdom? How do you get God's wisdom? I want to offer three things today. I'm sure there are many other ways to get wisdom, and here are three. You want to write these down. They're on your outline. Here's the first one. First, walk 
with the wise. Walk with the wise. Here it is in Proverbs 13, 20. Solomon wrote, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Walk with the wise and become wise. A companion of fools suffers harm. I mean, it's, you know, it's three, three old, good old boys standing in front of a pickup truck uh, with a case of beer on the hood of the truck, and they're standing there drinking beer. This, this, is, uh, this is suffering waiting to happen. The companion of fools, right? We have, we have this epidemic in our culture right now of addiction. And, and before I get specific about this, let me just remind us all that all of us have an addiction to something. I have addiction, you have addiction, all God's children have addiction. Now, that's a, that's a fact. And so we have to wrestle with this. But there's an epidemic in our culture right now around the subject of drugs and alcohol. And so the, the drug, the opioid, heroin addiction is, is rampant. It's pandemic. It's just horrible. I mean, there's, there's hardly a family that isn't influenced by it. We're all acutely aware of it. Well, let me just ask you this. If you happen to be a person who struggles with drug addiction or you know someone who struggles with this, let me ask you this question. Um, who are you hanging with? Who are you hanging around? If all your friends are doing drugs, do you know how small a chance you have of beating drugs? Very, very small. You need different friends. I've said this before. Show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Say it another way. It's almost impossible to live right when you have the wrong friends. Show me who you run with, and I'll tell you who you are. The Apostle Paul said it this way, 1 Corinthians 15, don't be deceived, bad company corrupts good morals. Yeah. So let that sink in. It's almost impossible to overcome these things. I mean, your mother's right. You need better friends. You need better people to hang with because walk with the wise and you become wise. If your companion is nothing but fools, then you suffer harm. That's the way it works. I love this imagery. You know, we're, we're told to walk with the wise. Now, this doesn't imply find a wise person and ask, ask their opinion, get their advice from a wise person. This says walk with the wise. In other words, spend time with them, hang out with them, make, make friends with them, spend time with them. This is how you become wise, hanging out with people who are wise. That's why one of the reasons we talk so much here about small groups and the importance of being together with people going in the same direction, spending time there, living your lives together and encouraging one another and supporting one another. You know, just coming to church one hour a week isn't going to get it done. It's, it's not. Uh, there are too many pressure points in our culture. It's too hard to overcome the temptations and the, and the mores that, that embrace our culture. And so we need one another, and we need, we need this kind of accountability. We, we uh, are so passionate about this that we filter it all the way down to our students. Let me just talk to parents for a moment. If, if your kids are involved in our preteen ministry, 456, or our teenage ministry, uh, 180, uh, let me just say... This is how the church is working with you as parents and families. This is what we do to help. See, the, the strongest thing that we're currently doing in all of those ministries is our small groups. 
We've, we've chosen and developed leaders who bring good kids together and help them keep moving in the same direction. It's just very, very important. Uh, I wouldn't, if I was raising children right now, uh, I wouldn't, I didn't when I was raising kids, but I wouldn't, especially now, expect my children to be plugged in followers of Jesus. I mean, fully devoted followers of Jesus by just merely bringing them to church twice a month. It's just, it's just not, it's not going to work. It's not going to be enough. So if you see any person in any area of success in their life, I promise you, you'll discover this about them. They hang out with wise people. Successful people walk with the wise and they become wise. Is this, is this too complicated? Is this, is this hard? It's, it's, pretty, it's pretty intuitive, isn't it? I mean, where, wherever you spend your time, that's, that's where you're going to be influenced the most. And so the Bible just r- reminds us of how important it is to get wisdom and how valuable wisdom is, more valuable than anything else. And the way you get it is to hang out with people who are wise. Yeah. Let me tell you about a, a wise friend of mine. His name is Mark Beeson. Um, Mark and I have been friends for almost 40 years, and our wives, dear friends, our families have vacationed every year for the last 38 years. When our children were young, we vacationed with our families, and in recent years, it was just the four of us, and so we are very, very close. Mark is also a pastor. He, pass, he pastors a church in South Bend, Indiana called Granger Community Church, and he planted that church almost 30 years ago. It's a, it's a dynamic local church. Uh, they worship about 5,000 people on the weekends. It's a big deal. Um, it's, it's very influential. Mark is a very influential guy. About three weeks ago, Mark came home from Israel. He'd taken a contingent of his church members there to visit the Holy Land, and he got home. He wasn't feeling well, and, and his doctor put him in the hospital. They ran some tests, and Mark has been diagnosed with cancer, and it's very, very serious. Uh, his prognosis is not good right now, and so we're just... We're very heartbroken about this, and we've been in regular contact with them. And I mention this for two reasons. It illustrates the point, obviously, that when you walk with the wise, you become wise, uh, and also to solicit your prayers for Mark and his wife, Sheila. Will you pray for them? Just remember them in prayer. Mark and Sheila Beeson, thank you so much for that. So if you want to make better decisions, hang around better people. Seriously, some of you, listen, you really need to hear this. It's it's so important, so scriptural, so so important. You walk with the wise and you grow wise. Walk, walk, walk with the wise. That's the first thing to get wisdom. Now, here's the second thing. It's on your outline. Write this down. Number two, ask for wisdom. Ask for wisdom. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So ask, Lord, I need your help. I need your wisdom. I need your insight. God, I'm not sure what to do. Lord, help me know what to do. God, speak to me. God, I need your wisdom. And God actually has promised to answer that prayer. Yeah, so you need to ask. You know, when you're raising small children and you're a young parent, you do realize that your children, your small children, think that you're a superhero that the mother's the most beautiful thing that's ever walked the earth and the husband, the father is, you know, the strongest and the smartest of anything he's ever, 
ever seen. My dad is so, you know, he's stronger than your dad. I mean, you're a superhero. And then when your kids become adolescents, you go from hero to zero, just almost overnight. And your children think you're an idiot. And sometimes that's how they call you. Hey, idiot, what are you doing? And, and so it's, it's just that time of life. And you have to endure that as parents and get through it because people are young and stupid and they don't know. And so, so you just have to endure that as a parent. And then once your children move through those phases and come to young adulthood, now... Now the relationship changes again, and if you've, if you've endured well and lovingly through the first two phases, the third phase, your children will actually come back to you as young adults, and sometimes with an apology. Sorry I called you an idiot. It's okay. I, everybody's young and stupid, and that's what happened to you. So, <laughs> And so they come back to you, and it's, and it's, and it's great. So there are three phases, and, and, and so there is a different approach as parents in those th three phases. The first is you're a coach. When they're very, very young, you got to coach them up. you got to coach them up almost moment by moment. Hey, don't step there. Hey, don't touch that. Hey, don't go over there. Hey, don't say that. And, and you're, just, you're just creating the barriers, and you're creating the right and wrong and, and, and establishing values. And so you got to coach them up all the time. They need regular input. I mean, they're brand new. They don't know what they're doing. And so you have to help them, and so you coach them. Then when they get to this adolescent stage and they're not sure about you, you have to be a counselor, and you've got to kind of come alongside of them and kind of, and kind of uh, tease information out of them, and, and you have to make special effort there. I mean, when our boys were in that stage, I, what I discovered worked well is I would just make a date with them and take them out to some hamburger joint and feed them. And when I fed them, they got very friendly. And so then I could say, hey, tell me, how's your relationship with God going? How's your spiritual life? And they would start talking to me, and we'd process that. How about your, your primary friendships? How are those things going? What kind of conflict do you have? What about with your coaches or your teachers? What are you learning? What's going on? And what about your sexual energy? You know, when that starts to emerge, I said, I know you have sexual energy, so how are you managing that? How, what are you, how are you doing with that? And by the way, that's going to get stronger. So it has to be managed. And so process that. So you're a counselor at that stage of life. And then once your children move out and they're young adults and they start establishing their own families, then the rules completely change. And this is very important. What I'm about to tell you now is worth about a million dollars. Listen to me. You have to establish different boundaries with your young adult children. So you're not coaching them anymore. You're not counseling them anymore. Now you're consulting with them. But consultants only do their work in the, in the, real, in the big world when they're invited. So the boundaries have to be maintained. You don't offer your opinion about the way your children are doing their marriage or raising their young children or doing their career. You don't offer that without an invitation without being asked. Now, I'm very careful about this. Beth thinks that I'm too careful with this because she thinks I ought to jump in from time to time. You need to say something to him about that. And so, but this is how mothers-in-law jokes get, get started. <laughs> that whole genre of mother-in-law jokes comes from this. People violate, because, you know, you're, that mother of yours, she keeps nosing into our business. I don't like it. And so... Listen, husbands, young husbands, it's your job to maintain the boundaries to keep your mother off your wife's back. This stuff happens all the time. And so the boundary has to be clear only when you're invited. 
So here's what I've discovered. Anytime either of our sons or daughters-in-law say, say to me, what do you think about? And they ask me a question. Listen, that's the, that's the green light. And so I discovered I got a lot to say about every subject they could possibly ask me for. And I just, so I just, you know, I just let them know exactly what I think, but not until they invite me. So, so it's important to maintain the boundary. Here's what you can know about God. When you ask your loving Heavenly Father for wisdom, for advice, for consultation, he, He's free to give it to you. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask. Invite Him in who gives generously without finding fault. Isn't that great? And so that's what you'll find. So when you ask God for consultation, You'll love to discover he gives you his wisdom. He, 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 he wants to. Now, to, in order to get his wisdom, you've got to spend time with him. You've got to pray. You've got to read the, read the Bible and understand his will and his ways. You've got to, you've got to worship him. You've got, you've got to do the disciplines that, that engage you in a personal relationship with God. So when he begins to speak to you, you can actually pick up on it. You can discern it. You can hear it. So, so it requires a relationship with him to do it. But look at this beautiful verse in Psalm 32, verse 8. I'll put it on the screen. The Lord says, I will guide you along the best pathway for your life. I will advise you and watch over you. Isn't that beautiful? Guide you, advise you, watch over you. See, God won't always tell you explicitly what to do, but he'll give you wisdom to decide. He'll guide you. He'll advise you. Just about all of us here, uh, if you're a parent uh, and, you, and you've lived a while, you remember teaching your child how to ride a bicycle. Can you remember those moments? Teaching your kids how to ride a bike. Now, think about that whole scenario, that whole sequence. And I'm going to show you a video of our oldest son, Aaron, with his youngest daughter, Marin, uh, teaching her how to ride a bike. And here's what I want you to imagine, that you are the child on the bike. We're just, we're just the kid on the bike. And the father is God. And, and overlay then what you're about to see with the way God treats us. I'll walk with you. I'll advise you. I'll counsel you. I'll protect you. I'll keep you. I got you. I'm with you. So go for it. So check, just watch the video. Aaron's first ever bike riding with no training wheels. Give mom a thumbs up. <laughs> Marin saw a bunny. She's very focused on it. Mm -hmm. All right, here we go. Pedal, pedal, pedal. Pedal, 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 and steer. Good job. So there it was, success. We also have a video at home of, of Isaac, our youngest son, crashing um, after my instruction. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's, here, did you see the advice? It was perfect. What was the first thing he said? Pedal. Let's get this thing moving. Let's go. Now, Marin could have said that, you know I'm, I've never done this on two wheels before. I'm a little anxious about this. I'm a little scared. I'm frightened. I'm not sure I can do it. What was the advice? Let's get moving. Just pedal. 
In other words, I'm with you. Did you see? Did you see? He was just running right beside, hovering over that. Nice correction, he said. Keep pedaling. Don't stop pedaling. Keep going. You know, and if Marin had started to tip over, I mean, Aaron would have just scooped her right up, not let her hit the ground. There, so it's a, a perfect illustration of how God is with us when we are doing things that we're unsure of. We don't always know exactly what to do, but we have to keep moving forward. We have to get momentum. So here's the third thing. This is how you get wisdom. Number three, write this down. You decide. You decide, you make a decision. It's very simple. Decide. Walk with the wise, ask for wisdom, and then make a decision. See, the underlying emotion behind all the moments of hesitation, lack of commitment, all of these delays that we experience, the, the underlying emotion when we should be peddling is fear. We're unsure, We're, we just don't know if it's gonna happen. And so we hesitate and we, and, we, and, we, and we don't initiate momentum and make a decision and go. Now, some of you are old enough to remember the original Karate Kid, that movie, that iconic movie, The Karate Kid. And you had you know, this mentor, Miyagi, and the, the young protege, Daniel. And one of the scenes, this was the advice Miyagi gives to Daniel. I'm not going to try the accent. That would be embarrassing for everybody. But this is what he said, daniel son. Walk on road, walk on right side, safe. Walk left side, safe. Walk middle, sooner or later, get squished just like grape. Perfect, that's perfect advice. Most decisions in life are just general direction decisions. We're on the, we're on the road, we've got divine direction, we're heading down the right path, and so, and so we, just, we just make decisions. And Miyagi says, look, one side of the road is safe, the other side of the road is safe. I mean, really about the only place that's not safe is in the middle. So don't, you know, don't go walking down the middle of the road, just avoid that. Everything else is good. You're, you're on the road and you're in the right direction. And this is what most of life decisions are about. Now, I, I have this theory as well that the biggest decisions in life, we should expect the biggest level of guidance from God. I mean, if it's a huge crossroads moment of decision, we should expect God to speak to us in, in fairly clear ways about the next step. But generally speaking, decisions in life are somewhere on this road and there's latitude there. And so God will give us the wisdom we need, the discernment we need to make the next choice. So where there is no clear moral scriptural direction, what does God do? He gives us wisdom to decide. You say, what if you make a mistake? What if I choose the wrong thing? Well, look, just make the call. Here's what I've learned in my life, and this is really helpful instruction. Listen to me carefully. If your heart is right, your why is right, your, your who, you, who is right, you're living for Jesus, you want to do the right thing, even if you make the wrong choice, and yet your motives are pure, God will always bring you back to the best place. He will always cause your life to get right back at the right moment at the right time, if your heart is right and your motives are right. Look at this verse in 1 Thessalonians 3. So when we could stand it no longer, Paul wrote, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. In other words, 
here they are. They're trying to decide where should we go next. They thought about it. We considered it. And we just finally concluded, given the best information we have, we just thought it best. We'll just stay here. Stay in Athens for a while. I mean, here's the Apostle Paul. He doesn't know the next step. So he's just processing it, trying to figure it out. And given the best information I have, this is what I think God wants me to do. As a follower of Jesus, as a leader in the church, I can speak for myself. There are times I know God is directing me, times when I know pretty precisely what to do next. There are other times where God just says, look, I'm trusting you, and you just make a decision, you move forward. Yeah. Uh, years ago in New York City, a cab driver pulled up, got a fare, and he looked in the back, and there was John D. Rockefeller. John D. Rockefeller, of course, this big industrialist, arguably the most wealthy American who's ever lived, even to this day. And um, he was um, Standard Oil, had a monopoly on all the oil in America at one point. The Rockefellers, I mean, you just say the, say the name and you just go, whoa, there's some money. <laughs> to this day, we don't know what the family's worth. We didn't know for sure what Rockefeller was worth when he was alive. He lived to the age of 97 and in, uh, he died in 1937, but he got in this cab one day and the cab driver noticed that it was John D. Rockefeller and he was so thrilled to have him in the, in the cab. And he said, Mr. Rockefeller, this is such an honor for me to have you in my cab. And I've been setting a little money back, hoping to invest it in the stock market. Could you give me some advice on how to invest this money? Rockefeller looked at him and said, sure. He said, make wise decisions. cab driver said, that's, that's so helpful. Thank you so much. That's so valuable. I appreciate that so much. Uh, but he said, how, how do I learn to make wise decisions? And Rockefeller smiled and looked at him and he said, make unwise decisions. <laughs> well, what if I make a mistake? Well, guess what? Guess what happens to you when you make a mistake? You get wisdom. You get wisdom. So how do I get wisdom? Okay, walk with the wise. Thank you, Pastor Greg. Second thing, ask God. Wow, that's, that sounds big and big and important. I'll ask God for wisdom. So okay, that's, that's how I do it. What, and what's the third thing I do to, make, to, to get wisdom? Make enough decisions that you mess up. Mess up enough. And then you come to the point in life where you go, I wish I knew then. What I know now, but this is the result of wisdom. This is the, the benefit. Look, let's say you make a, a poor decision. You get wisdom. You may have an extra bill in the mail for a while. You may have to raise an extra kid for, you know. It's no big deal. Just throw another one in there. So just raise them. It's fine. <laughs> you may have to go an extra semester to school, you know, whatever, to make up for the new major. Don't fuss about it. Don't worry about it. Do not be afraid. Pedal, 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 pedal. Pedal, I'm right here with you. Pedal, don't worry. Pedal, but what if I, what if I fail? What if I make a mistake? What if it's wrong? Don't worry, God's got you. Man makes his plans, God orders the steps. He's with us. He's promised to never leave us nor forsake us. Can I say to millennials in the room, Gen Zers in the room, go for it, man. Don't hesitate. Don't be afraid. I know you're, I, I understand why you're uncertain. I understand why you hesitate. I understand why it's hard for you to make the commitment. Go for it. God is with you and he will keep you every step of the way. 
Um, but that's, see, if you'll hear that, if you'll hear that, it'll help you. It'll help you. So how do you get God's very best plan for your life? You just serve him the very best you can right here, right now, today, in this moment. Do the best you can to serve him today. Be the right who, God will get you to the right do. Understand the right why, your motives for doing it. God will get you to the right what, at the right time with the right people doing the right things. Amen? Amen. Now, the answer to my question is, I got it. You ready? Did you get it? One more time. Did you get it? Great. Let's pray. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus, that you are the shepherd that guides the sheep. Your sheep hear your voice and follow you. So, Lord, wherever you guide us, we will follow step by step. And we ask you in this moment that you'll help us. Give us divine direction. I know there are so many who are in the face of big decisions. So, God, where your word is clear, we will obey. And yet many times, Lord, we don't know exactly what to do. So give us wisdom to decide. And give us the courage to know that you're walking with us. Empower us by your spirit. Give us courage to decide and the faith to trust you. I wonder if, if you're in the room today and you say, you know, I want to be just like Solomon. I want to pray above all other prayers that God will give me wisdom. If that's true, just raise your hand and say, Lord, give me wisdom. It's more important than anything else. The Bible says it's more valuable than gold. Give us wisdom, God. And so, Lord, now, if we want wisdom, we want to walk with the wise. No more thinking about it. You're going to change, you're going to change some of your friends. You're going to get in a small group. You're becoming wise. You're in God's word. You're, you're talking to God. You're asking him for wisdom. You're fellowshipping with God. Now, Father, I ask that as we do these very simple things, that you will impart divine wisdom to us. Give us wisdom, first to be who you want us to be, and then we'll know what you called us to do. Give us wisdom to get the why right. Therefore, God, will get the what right. In all these things, may we honor you and please you. In Jesus' name we pray, and everyone said, amen, amen. Would you stand with us?